Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. You see, it's all about where you put the emphasis there. The Last Symptom. I've read reviews about my podcast in the past when it was called The Last Symptom of Borderline Personality Disorder, and people say, well, that title's way too long. Well, it's not if you know where to put the emphasis. The Last Symptom of Borderline Personality Disorder. You say it like that, it just rolls right off the tongue. But yeah, of course, if you say The Last Symptom of Borderline Personality Disorder, that sounds very long. Well, here we are. It's Thursday again, and... Uh, I want to tell you, if this is your first time visiting me, I have a website full of free resources over at thelastsymptom.com. You can go over there and take advantage of all those free resources in the form of articles and links. And uh, also you can listen to this, uh, this program every week from thelastsymptom.com. There are some paid services. For example, you can schedule time to talk to me on the telephone and maybe I can help you figure some things out. There's the possibility of uh, making a financial contribution to support my overall body of work, which I appreciate very much and allows me to do this. And in fact, just this week, I got a couple of uh, $15 donations, a couple of $10 donations, and uh, some of those are recurring. So uh, I want to thank those of you who are doing that, and uh, you know by now, hopefully, that uh, I never take those things for granted. They allow me to continue doing what I'm doing. Now, uh, my daughter has been sick all week long. I mean, hacking up a lung, sick as a dog, and uh, doggone it. I've been wondering all week if I was going to catch that. Well, I don't know if you can tell by my voice, but it seems like I'm right at the beginning of it today. So I should be uh, right on the verge of death about the time that the last symptom fundamentals course begins on Monday, and I'm trying to talk. But uh, that's just the way life works, isn't it? Uh, yeah, that's the way it works. I don't know. I might wake up tomorrow morning and, and be perfectly fine. You never know about these things. Well, today we're going to be talking about uh, true empathy versus fake empathy. You'll remember how in the past I've explained that it's not the thing itself necessarily which can be categorized as healthy or unhealthy but rather the reasons creating the motivation for it in the first place. I've given the example on more than one occasion of uh, two different women who spend 12 hours a day at the gym. They both do this. The first woman does it because she believes her value as a person depends on her looks. You see, she, she has to look like a movie star because if she doesn't, then... She doesn't feel any sense of worth. She doesn't feel like other people look at her as a person with worth. Uh, 
And because she doesn't feel that other people look at her with such grand admiration, since they don't view her that way, then she herself doesn't feel that way. You see how that works there? So she has to look like a movie star, because if she don't, she'll not feel any sense of worth. Now, notice that this woman does not love herself. And she doesn't believe that she has inherent value. Inherent value would be if she didn't care what other people think because she's happy with herself. Rather, what she believes is that the only way she can be lovable, notice the uh, nuance there, not loved, but lovable. The only way she can be lovable is if she looks a certain way physically. So this is what drives her. Now, on the other hand, we've got this second woman. And the second woman also spends 12 hours a day at the gym. And yet, her reasons for this is that she values herself. So, in other words, she already loves herself. She knows she has inherent value. But she knows that this body is the only one she'll ever have. Since she genuinely cares about herself... It's very important to her to maintain herself in as healthy shape as she can. What other people think of her physical shape has nothing whatsoever to do with how she perceives her own worth. Instead, her healthy, accurate perception is that she already has great worth, no matter what her physical shape is. And this is what motivates her to stay in great physical shape. So you see there... Two different individuals, both doing the exact same thing, but for different reasons, different motivations. So the point of the illustration is to highlight how it isn't a thing or a behavior in itself which can be classified as healthy or unhealthy. Rather, it's the unconscious or subconscious causes motivating that behavior. Well, to an extent... Empathy works this way, too, when we're discussing genuine empathy versus fake empathy. Genuine empathy is motivated by an altruistic interest in others. Altruistic means that you do it whether or not you've got anything to gain from it yourself. So when an emotionally healthy person feels genuine empathy, they do so not thinking about themselves at all. Feeling the terrible grief of another person, for example, who's lost somebody to death, doesn't bring them any pleasure. They don't want to feel that. The feelings of grief are terrible, and they wish not to feel it, because they wish for the other person to never have had to feel it. Artificial empathy, the kind that people with borderline personality disorder tap into, and which makes them believe they are quote-unquote empaths, the word I hate, is not motivated by altruistic motives. Instead, they thrive on this. They enjoy it. They admire it and they enjoy it, the same way that we might find sad poetry beautiful. They're leeches. In fact, the first time I ever discussed this, I probably lost a hundred followers. Why? Because they love the notion 
that borderline personality disorder has blessed them with some sort of special superpower of being quote-unquote empaths. Empath is a non-word. All healthy people are empaths. Anybody who is emotionally healthy naturally has the ability to healthfully empathize with others. So if we're talking about a normal human quality that all people are meant to have just as a natural result of being a properly functioning, healthy human being, is there any such thing as a special select group of people called empaths? No, there's not. And genuine empathy is not a superpower. Genuine empathy is an inherent part of emotional health. Anybody who's emotionally healthy will naturally have empathy. So there's no such thing as an elite group of people walking about the earth who are empaths. Are people living with borderline personality disorder emotionally healthy? No, they're not. So the empathy they claim to experience so strongly cannot be real or healthy. Because again, genuine empathy is an identifying aspect of emotional health, not of emotional unhealth. So folks with borderline personality disorder absorb others' emotions as a way to feel an inferior sort of artificial intimacy with others. Remember, folks with borderline personality disorder have lived their entire lives unable to experience genuine intimacy. Why? Because of the unhealthy perceptions at the very root of the disorder. So they're walking around tremendously deficient in intimacy. They cannot bring themselves to do it. They cannot bring themselves to be genuinely intimate with another person. Why not? Because the belief that forms the foundation of their disorder is that they're unlovable. They're inherently devoid of worth. They're shameful. That's their natural state. Now, ask yourself... If I'm a person walking around who the certainty that I live with is that I'm unlovable, what do I expect to get if I reveal my authentic self to another person? Do you expect to be embraced or do you expect to be rejected? If the certainty that you live on is that you're unlovable, it means that you're without worth. So how is the only way that you're ever going to experience any type of uh, close relationship with anybody else? You got to lie, right? You got to present somebody else, an, another personality to them that you perceive is lovable so that you, that'll be accepted. But let's go back to what real intimacy is. It's the revealing of one's authentic inner self to another. Do you see the, the catch-22 there? It's, it's an endless loop, a self-sustaining loop. person believes they're unlovable, and intimacy means the revealing of one's authentic, vulnerable, true inner self to another person. And if you do that, believing you're unlovable, what will be the natural result? What is the natural result of something un that is unlovable revealing itself to somebody else? The only possibility is rejection. 
That is the constant loop that people with borderline personality disorder are stuck in. So they crave intimacy more than anything else. And at the same time, there is nothing they have a greater aversion to. They cannot bring themselves to do it. The only way they can experience genuine intimacy is to tackle the beliefs, the certainties, at the very foundation of who they are that says they are unlovable. Fix that, boom, suddenly you you can experience intimacy. But until you fix it, intimacy, genuine intimacy, is never going to occur. And so the person continues living, becoming even more and more deficient in that human need. So because they're so deficient in this human need, they resort to inferior and artificial approximations of it. So this artificial quote-unquote empathy, you know, artificial empathy is not empathy. But um, the world has not created a term for that, that thing. So we're just going to call it artificial empathy. This artificial empathy allows them to get a sense of emotional intimacy. Note this, without them actually having to invest anything themselves. You say, well, sure they invest. They go out of their way to buy cards or to write letters to people or to visit people or to sit with them and cry with them. But that's not the sort of investment I'm talking about. I'm talking about the investment of revealing your true, vulnerable, exposed, authentic self to another person. Even if the truth of it may show parts of you in a negative or vulnerable light. See, this artificial empathy allows them to get their high off somebody else's sadness or other feelings, which they then use to feel good about themselves. The dialogue in their head is, I'm doing something really good here. This, this makes up for the things I feel so shamed about. And you see, this is an external artificial form of validation and sense of goodness or worth. And all the while, they've never had to invest a single thing, a single authentic thing, themselves, which would be genuine empathy and intimacy. You know, if you're sitting down with somebody who's going through a hard time or what, whatnot, and you're empathizing with them, you're investing, you're giving as much as, as you're getting. So you're feeling what they're feeling, but you're giving in return. Genuine intimacy, genuine empathy. So the way that folks with borderline personality disorder absorb the emotions of others is for selfish, unhealthy purposes. They get to feel a certain righteousness in it, meaning that while it's happening, they're sort of reveling in it. And often they're even consciously thinking, not subconsciously, but even consciously thinking about how good they are for doing this. It's their imaginary compensation for the sense of shame that they feel or worthlessness that they live with. The motives at the root of their reason for doing it at all give them away. Authentic empathy is not just a matter of feeling as other people feel. That's the the definition you often get for empathy, right? It's the simplified definition. We say that sympathy is feeling for somebody and empathy is feeling as they feel. But it's not just feeling as somebody else feels. 
another critical component separating the genuine article from the fake is the motivations behind it. Emotionally healthy people don't experience empathy from a need to tap into other people's emotions for their own needs and pleasure. They experience genuine empathy from altruistic concern. And remember, altruistic means that you're not getting anything out of it for yourself. You're not doing it for what you get out of it for yourself. One particularly striking difference between fake empathy and authentic empathy is that true empathy has a strong effect on the decisions and personal behavior of the person feeling it, even if this requires sacrifice. What is sacrifice? Is sacrifice doing things that are easy? No, sacrifice involves doing things that are often hard, very hard, things that we don't want to do, things that we would prefer not to do, things that put us out of our way, that make us live outside of what we're used to and comfortable with. That's sacrifice. So, uh hate to drag my brother into this again, but I do so with the uh, idea that you folks are never going to know him. My brother's very good at absorbing others' feelings and then doing things to show that he feels this artificial empathy. For example, um, I remember when my grandpa was dying, my brother would go over there and spend a lot of time with him and and feel sad with him and everything. He bought him like a nice uh, pocket watch, knowing that my grandfather was going to die in uh, you know just a matter of months. My brother would do all these things, and, you know, when uh, I've sat and talked with him before, he said that, uh, you know, he he feels other people's feelings very intensely. Well, you know, sitting with my grandfather, there's nothing inherently bad in that, buying him the pocket watch, nothing inherently wrong with that. You know, nothing inherently wrong with, with those things. But my brother's artificial empathy would always fall short of anything that requires true, personal, unwanted effort. That is, anything that requires him to change his way or to make decisions that he doesn't want to make. Instead, he considers buying a greeting card or a wristwatch for somebody and sitting with them for an hour a sufficient substitute for him having to make any changes himself. Remember, everything he did to show his empathy, his artificial fake empathy, was only what he was already comfortable doing. Think about that. Everything he did to show his quote-unquote empathy was what he was already comfortable doing, which made him feel good about himself. But that did not require any true uncomfortable sacrifice. In other words, none of this required him to do anything that went against what he was already willing to do voluntarily. This is an important part. Genuine empathy is not an act of compensation for what you are not doing that you could and should be doing, but that you're not willing to do. You see, genuine empathy does not act as a substitute for getting your crap together 
addressing your own issues, and fixing yourself. As an example, my brother, bless his confused heart, spent 20 years buying things for people, crying, showing up, and visiting with those who were down. But he was also drinking two bottles of vodka every night. And he had three daughters at home. And guess what their entire wish in life was? His three young daughters wished for nothing more than to have a sober father. So if his empathy was genuine, where was his ability to feel the profound sadness and yearnings of his own three young daughters and to allow it to affect his behaviors and decisions, to affect change in himself, change that he didn't want to make? The reality is that his empathy was fake. It was a superficial, meager way to fool himself into feeling better about himself. That is, a way to excuse what he knew he should be doing and could be doing, but that he wasn't willing to do. And why wasn't he willing to do it? Because that requires much more effort than sitting with somebody or buying them a watch, doesn't it? never putting in any effort to address his own issues, which is what everybody really wanted. No, doing some artificial act of empathy, absorbing these feelings of sadness, was a thousand times easier and more self-serving, wasn't it, than what he should have been doing and could have been doing, but was not willing to do. Empathy, real empathy, is not self-serving, and it's never a substitute. It, you know, the person does not view it as a substitute for sacrifice and self-work. Instead, it's a motivator for self-sacrifice and self-work. You feel deeply what others feel and need, and you use this to give up drinking, or you use it to figure out why your temper's been so bad lately and fix it, or you use it to motivate yourself to go to rehab and do the hard uncomfortable work of addressing your drug problem. Why? Because you feel other people's feelings so greatly, and it makes you willing to sacrifice, makes you willing to make true sacrifices. Genuine empathy, for example, somebody's in the hospital, would motivate you to uh, call off work for a few days, take a financial hit, go sit with them at the hospital, hold their hand, even when you're going to get nothing out of it yourself. These are examples of real, genuine empathy. It's not, you know, you're not going to the hospital holding their hand, sitting there with them, crying with them, because you hate yourself and you feel like this, this act, somehow compensates for what you don't like about yourself, the motivations behind it. So that's my discussion today about empathy, false empathy and true empathy. I wish I felt a little bit better, and I could have uh, presented today's program with a little bit more zest, but that's all I got in me today, folks. Let me again remind you about thelastsymptom.com. Run over there and support my work if you, if you get the inkling to do that. Also, be sure to take advantage of the articles that I make available to everybody there. Um, also, all of the, the links and resources. And that brings us to the encouraging finale.
watching a movie the other night called The Life Aquatic. I love that director. That director's name is Wes Anderson, and he just makes these great, quirky movies. In fact, he has a movie called Moonrise Kingdom, and that was filmed in Rhode Island, and I lived in Rhode Island during the time that that movie came out. It really gives you a sense of being in Rhode Island. But anyway, I was watching this movie, The Life Aquatic, and in it, the actor Owen Wilson plays a character who's from Kentucky. The problem is, throughout the movie, he keeps talking about Louisville. Louisville. Well, the problem is that anybody from the area where I'm from knows that it's not called Louisville. It's called Louisville. somebody who's from Chicago or something or New York talking about Louisville and they pronounce it correctly. Now that is impressive. That means that somewhere along the line somebody corrected them and they made a, a note of it. So here's my chance to do it for you. There's no such thing as Louisville, Kentucky. But there is a Louisville, Kentucky. 